Well, it really is good to be with you guys and everybody watching online. Uh, we are closing out the book of James today. Uh, as Clay just read, James chapter 5. And uh, a little bit sad to be closing out a, a book of the Bible anytime we do that, especially James, which is so rich with content. And he doesn't mince words. And you guys have, have heard that. If not, go back and listen and watch on YouTube. But a little bit sad to finish James, but excited to start our new series on the Holy Spirit. So next week, we're starting a series called God in You. And uh, it's all about the Holy Spirit. Um, May 31st is actually Pentecost Sunday, uh, which you don't know, if you don't know, is a re- reminder, a celebration of Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches, all these people get saved, and crazy things happen. And so we're going to look at that, start there, and just talk about who is the Holy Spirit. What work does he do in our life? How does he have a lot to say about this season that we're going in and give us guidance as we get information from every source? Uh, We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about that for the next four weeks. So excited to get into that. But for now, uh, we're going to end the book of James. You guys ready? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's do this together. We'll grab a Bible if you didn't already. James 5, 7 through 20. And we're talking about faith and suffering. And it's a good time for us to talk about this topic. All right. If you look out in our world at all, if you go online at all, you know our world is suffering. Uh, People are suffering physically with COVID-19. People are suffering vocationally, economically. People are suffering relationally. Right. I mean, through racism, injustice, uh, polarization that's happening. We're in an election year, and that's just gonna, is gonna, going to increase. And so you just look out in our world, people are suffering, but you look in your world, and, pe- and you are suffering on, in some form or fashion, right? And uh, maybe not to some of those levels that we see in our world, but all of us can say, and James asked in a little bit, hey, is anyone among you suffering? If I were to ask you personally, Nathan, like, are you suffering? You might say, yeah, a little bit in these different ways. And we might have a conversation about that. And so James is clued into that in his day. We're all clued into that in our day. So it's a good topic for us to talk about is how do we face and endure through suffering? So that's what James is going to get to. And he does so uh, starting in verse 7 with our first point, which is going to be patient perseverance. So how do we endure suffering? It's through patient perseverance. He starts off verse 7 with this, be patient And notice, if you look at the text, he says, brothers. Now, this is a pivot for James. Uh, If you remember last week, he did not call his audience brothers. He called them rich, greedy people and told them to weep and howl. And that's how we got back into the book of James, right? Nice welcome back to James. That was last week, but now he's not saying rich, greedy people weep and howl. He's saying, hey, brothers, sisters, family. So last week we got rebuking James Now we get relational James, right? So he's pivoting. He's talking to us. If you're a believer in Jesus on how to follow Jesus and endure suffering. So that's who he's talking to. And he is talking about patient perseverance. Four times he says patience. Two times he says perseverance. And he's talking about, we're going to see the examples he gives. He's talking about being patient in your situation. Whatever hardship you're going through personally, job, all those types of things. But he also talks about being patient with one another, right? Look at verse 9. He says, don't grumble against one another. And I think that might be the hardest form of patience. Like, we'll, we'll be patient with ourselves. We'll be patient with a job that's coming or a promotion that's down the line. Like, it's not easy, but we'll, we'll be patient with that. But if somebody else, particularly online, says something we don't like, 
we cancel them right away, right? And I think James is getting at a problem we have. It's not just being patient with our circumstances, but also being patient with other people specifically. And again, that's why I think he says brothers so many times, specifically even people in the church. I have people in this room that sometimes, I don't want to be patient with them, right? And I've seen this a lot as a pastor. I'll see people who come into church together, locked arms together, they're best friends, roommates, spouses, whatever the case may be. And then I either don't see one of them any longer at church, or when I do see them, they're at opposite ends of the building. And sometimes, because I like to make them feel awkward, I ask them, hey, what happened? You're really good friends with that person. What's the deal? You guys not tight anymore? And it's usually like, oh yeah, one time this person said something to me and we just couldn't recover from that. And there's not patient perseverance with one another. So James is going to challenge us in our circumstances, be patient, relationally be patient. So a lot of us struggle with that. Amen, right? We struggle with being patient. I I struggle with being patient. For me, as I read this, one of the reasons I struggle with being patient is because to me, be patient, which he says four times, seems passive. Anybody else? Yeah. Seems passive. It's just like, I, I picture, I'm a doer. I picture, somebody tells me to be patient. I picture sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office, right? And just folding my hands sitting on my hands, like, just be patient, just wait on the answer, wait for them to come call you in, right? Everybody's done that. And that's what I picture with being patient, but biblically, not so much. Biblically, patience is usually around not a a waiting room in a doctor's office. It's around, like, endurance in a marathon, where you see a goal in front of you that you're chasing after, and it's be patient or steadfast, endure, go all the way to the finish line, don't quit, be patient. which is not passive at all. That's that's very active. And James clues us into this. Again, verse seven and eight. He says, be patient for the coming of the Lord. It's near, it's coming. Jesus is coming back, so don't grumble with other people. Be patient with them. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is coming back, so whatever your situation, your circumstance is hard, that you're struggling in, hey, be patient. Keep going. Finish the marathon. Don't stop. And James clues us into that just with verses seven and eight. Also in verse eight, he says, establish your hearts. Another way to say that is strengthen your hearts, that there's work to be done in the waiting, that you're firming up your foundation. uh, You're being determined. Verse 11, he says steadfast twice. That's what steadfast means, to be firm, to be determined as you wait. So patience is not passive. It's looking toward the goal and finishing strong. Now, I love the two examples James gives. He gives prophets, and he gives a farmer. And he gives prophets, he specifically mentions mentions Job. Now, if you don't know the story of Job, Job gets everything stripped away from him. His possessions, his kids, and it's a long time that Job has to suffer. And that's the example James gives about patience. This is going to be hard. He could have picked another prophet, didn't have as hard of a life or suffering, but he picks Job because he's cluing us in. Hey, this is, that marathon, it is a marathon, right? We think of patience as like, God, I'm being patient, like give me a spouse. And then like two days later, we're like, okay, where's that spouse, right? We think of patience of like, hey boss, I need that approval for this project. And if he hasn't done it like by Friday, we're, we're frustrated. But James is talking about the long game. He's talking about hard suffering that we have to go through over the long haul. Farmer, same way. 
you don't have to grow up on a farm to know this, but farmers plant seeds. They till soil, and they do. They wait for the rain to come. And most scholars will look at this and, and think James and just knowing agriculture, farmers aren't waiting just for a one-off rain shower. They're waiting for a season of rain, the early and the late rains to come so their crops can grow so that they can eat. And so a farmer would have to be patient, working actively, steadfast towards the goal of just eating and providing for his family. That's hard. That's long. And these are the examples of what patient perseverance looks like. It's hard. It's long. Welcome back to Phoenix Bible Church, right? Uh, I wish James would have given a different example. That would have been easier. Again, like, like we like to think of patience. Like, oh, be patient for a little while, but not too long, not too hard. And I would like to think of maybe another example like working out. Right? Just be patient, persistent, persevere in working out. Like, just, I know you're sore, but just get those few more reps on the bench press. Or just, just work out, just be patient. Like, I would have liked that example. Like, Monday uh, was Memorial Day, and I did the Murph with my wife, primarily for this illustration. I'll be honest with you, right? Uh, it's a military workout. Go look it up on your own. But it's really hard. Some people, maybe even in this room, can do it in like 35 minutes, but they're not normal, right? And I'm normal, so I could do it in 35 minutes, but we did it like an hour and 39 minutes. Don't judge me for that if you're a Merv person and hardcore military guy, right? We did it in an hour and 39 minutes, and you have to go through all these exercises. And I would like, even though that was hard, it was hard. I would like that version of patience. Hour and 40 minutes, just grind it out. You can do this. You're sore, but keep going. Hour and 39 minutes. But that's not the example James gives. It's farmer and it's Job, right? This is going to be hard. So patient, perseverance. I could just, we could end the sermon right here and I could just say, hey guys, go do that, right? How? How do we do that? Well, that's our, our second point, And it's that we can't do this on our own. We need help. And that's our second point is powerful prayer. So patient pers uh, perseverance and then powerful prayer. We see that in verses 13 through 20. James says this in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So where do we get the power to patiently persevere over the long haul? It's from God and it's through prayer. Um, now, again, I could just say, okay, so go pray more. And all of us would say, well, that praying is really hard. I don't have a consistent prayer life. I feel gu guilty for not praying. And so James talks about what prayer looks like. And I think probably if you look at it, it confuses some of you. Right? If you look at it, he talks about oil. He talks about elders. Uh, he talks about praying for the sick. He talks about sins being forgiven. So it seems like there's some physical healing taking place through prayer, uh, some spiritual healing taking place through prayer. And, and typically, as we look at praying for the sick and healing, sometimes, because it does seem kind of confusing, there's oil involved, elders involved, we can go to one of two camps with this. Uh, some of us can be obsessed with healing. And some of you may know people like this, right? They're obsessed with either being healed and receiving healing. Like, hey, if, there's, if that's out there, if you can pray for the sick and be healed, I'll take that, right? Uh, some of us are obsessed with it of like, we want to be the healers, right? And so people go on TV and get a lot of money and they convince you to send them $10 for a vial of olive oil. 
that you could get a gallon of at Costco, right? And so people can be obsessed with healing and praying for healing in that way. I know for me, early on in ministry as a pastor, um, a family member in my wife's family was sick, really sick. And we would go pray for her all the time. And um, her cousin came to me one time after we prayed for her. She's still really sick. And she said to me, hey, Tim, you're a pastor, but do you know anybody else who has the anointing? And I remember being offended by that. Like, okay, so you're crossing me off the list, like right away. Uh, Yeah, maybe I'll call some pastor friends who are more spiritual than me, and maybe they have the anointing and they can heal our family member. But but people kind of get obsessed with this. Like, this is why some people will travel miles to go to these places to get their face shoved and get healed, right? This is why people send the money and all those things. And that's part of the camp people can fall in. But there's another camp, and that's just throw it away altogether. Maybe even as I mentioned that, you guys are like, yeah, I'm super weirded out by that. I left the church a long time ago because of stuff like that. I'm just now back because, Tim, you're not weird like that, or please don't be, you know, and like we fall into one of these two camps. And so I just want to explain just a little bit, what is James talking about? Why oil? Why elders? What's going on here? So first, why oil? James doesn't tell us. Again, I wish he had, right? Uh, There's another example in the Gospel of Mark where the disciples, they anoint heads with oil, and they don't explain that either. But if you look at the whole scripture, if you look at the ancient world, Oil typically was used in two ways. It was symbolic of consecrating someone unto service to the Lord, uh, or it was medicinal. And I kind of think it's both. And as most commentaries I read, kind of think, hey, we think it's both. It's, it's symbolic. It's consecrating that person who needs to be healed to the Lord, but it's also medicinal. And you need to know the Bible is an anti-medicine. Like maybe you thought that, again, things can get weird with praying for healing and suffering. Maybe we should just, if we're really spiritual, we'll just pray and we won't take medicine. Maybe you guys have experienced that with family members or, or friends at times. But the Bible isn't anti-medicine. Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for the stomach, right? Some of y'all's favorite verse. You haven't memorized. We all know the body is a temple, right? We're supposed to take care of it, right? So, so symbolic medicinal oil may have been used for both of those reasons, and we can take application today. I have anointed people's heads with oil before as I prayed for them. Uh, Again, not because it's like uh, the special stuff from TVN or some TV evangelist, but just to follow scripture and to follow James and what he's saying. Uh, But I also tell people to take medicine, right? Drink your kale smoothie, Get your elderberries, whatever you need to do. Take your vitamins, go to the doctor, wear a mask, right? And the Bible is consistent with that. So why oil, symbolic, medicinal? Second thing is why elders? Elders are pastors, really synonymous in scriptures, leaders who are called to pray for people, who are called to shepherd people. And so James tells elders and tells the people to to respond to elders in the way that it's designed. Elders are supposed to be involved with people, praying for them, Uh, in their lives. And so that's part of the reason why he says to call the elders uh, is God can use them in powerful ways. I've seen that again, personally in my life. Uh, We lived in Portland, Oregon, right before we came to Phoenix. And Jaya, my wife, uh, we went sledding with some friends. Great day, Mount Hood, you should go if you've never been, right? It was a great day. We're sledding several hours in the day. We're going to leave we're walking by all these other people that are also sledding on different hills that we haven't done yet. And this is how it always happens, isn't it? We walk by this last 
hill that has a jump. And we think like, we didn't really do a jump like that. Should we do it? Like at least one time? Like we got kids with us, the other family had kids with us. We're like, yeah, let's just do it before our hot cocoa. Let's just go, we'll, we'll do this last run for the day. Let's just do it. And we did it and it was amazing. We all went flying in the air, came back down and it was awesome. Except for my wife. She was the last one to go. And uh, we're cheering her on, partly because we want hot cocoa, but partly because she was, you know, she was doing a great job. She's going down. She gets more air than everybody else. And like beyond everybody else. And we're all just like, oh my gosh, like Jaya, wow, like give it up. And then she hit the ground. We're still just like cheering out like, wow, did you see how much air she got as opposed to us? And like, I'm a little insecure about that as her husband in that moment. And but then we just see like Jaya, we're cheering at the top of the mountain like idiots and Jaya's at the bottom of the mountain laid out like this, <laughs> right? And later, long story short, later we did not go get hot cocoa. She, uh, Travis, you'll know this, uh, she broke the transverse processes, the wing bones at the bottom of her vertebrae. And she was bedridden for at least a week. We had to call Jaya's mom. She had to come help with the kids because I still had to go to work. And she couldn't do much. She was on the pain meds from the doctor. But about a week and a half in, we called, at that time, the elders, pastors of that church. We called them over. They anointed her head with oil. We prayed, faith. And she didn't walk up, get up, and start dancing, right? She didn't do that. But the next day, she didn't need a pain pill. Prescribed pain pill the first day. She didn't need it the next day. And we believe God moved by doing what Scripture says, right? Calling the elders praying, anointing oil, because that's how God has designed it. Now, God can move through elders, but he can also move through you. See, I, I think a lot of us might be thinking, Tim, oil, like, I don't even know where to get a vial of oil. Like, what is that? What is that involved? I'm not an elder. Like, can I pray? Can God move through prayer in my life? And I believe yes. Notice verse 15. What is, how does the healing take place? James says it's a prayer of faith. And ultimately, it's the Lord who raises someone up. So God does the healing, and he likes to use people in prayer as he does that. He brings up Elijah on purpose, because in this day, people would have known of Elijah as a hero of the faith. An elder-type person, just super spiritual person who prayed, and amazing things happened in the Old Testament. And he mentions Elijah specifically to say he was just a man with a nature like ours. You can pray too. Hebrews 4 tells us the same thing, to draw near to the throne with confidence. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon God. James 5, 16, right here in this passage says, pray for one another that sins are forgiven when that happens and people are healed. So not only should you pray, but you should ask for prayer. You should pray with one another, which by the way, that's why I'm so glad you guys are here. That's why at some point we do have to gather as a church. That's why at some point online, podcast, is insufficient, right? Because you can't be with one another and lay hands on one another and pray for one another. And we need that. And James prescribes that for us. In fact, verse 19, look at that verse. He says, people will wander away if they don't have people to come and bring them back and pray for them. And so listen, online's great. I'm glad we're having this uh, venue to talk about the gospel. I'm glad so many people are able to watch whether they're in Phoenix or not, but we need this, Amen. We need to be together at some point, healthy ways and safe ways and sanitized ways, but we need to be together because if not, people wander off. People need to be forgiven of their sins, healed, and that happens 
through prayer, through people. That's how God has designed it. Now, you might say, okay, prayer's powerful. Sounds great, Tim. Uh, I think people have prayed for COVID-19 to be defeated, right? How, how come it hasn't? I think people have prayed for racism to be defeated for like a long time. But there's some things that happened just the other day that seems like it's still prevalent, it's still there. Tim, I think things are still going on in the world. If it's powerful prayer to have patient perseverance, maybe it's not working, right? And maybe you even think like, maybe prayer's pointless. And maybe sometimes you feel like this in your life. You wake up in the morning, I'm supposed to pray, I'm a Christian, but does it really do anything? Does it really do anything about my job, my marriage, my kids, COVID-19, bigger things like racism and injustice? Shouldn't we act? Shouldn't we do something and not just pray? And what I would tell you is, here's the sequence of scripture always. It's pray and then act. That prayer leads to action. And so as James calls us to prayer, as we patiently persevere, it's not just a token prayer, a symbolic thing to make yourself feel better. Prayer always changes something, even if it's you. Like, God, I believe, healed my wife from her back. And not a miraculous way or anything like that, but, but I believe he healed her. I believe that helped. But even when he doesn't do that, he still changes our perspectives. He still changes our relationships. He still t- changes our, our mindset through prayer. And then he leads us to act. Let me just tell you, you can't pray for somebody to be healed and not then want to go love that person tangibly by bringing them a care pack. If you pray for somebody, you guys have done this. You pray for somebody, you're like, I should probably do something about that. If you pray against racism, and that's a hard one, we see that and we're like, man, we got to do something, we got to protest, and, and we should do all those things as well. But we think, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't think like, well, I should pray for that. But we actually should pray for that because if we pray, then we will act because that's the way it's designed to work. God stirs up something in our hearts and it happens through prayer. We see it with Nehemiah in the Old Testament. He prays first and then he builds a wall around the city to protect it. Elijah, who James mentions, he prays, but then he acts, he builds an altar. Jesus Christ, he prays. John 17, the high priestly prayer, he prays and then he has the ultimate act on the cross. Prayer always leads to action, right? And so how do we patiently persevere when everything is working against us economically, physically, racially, whatever the case may be, when things are long and hard? We pray, we ask God for help, and then he leads us to action. He changes us and he changes other people through prayer. So take a step in prayer. I I know prayer is hard. I know all of us are in different places with it. Uh, I would encourage you, pray scripture. Pray John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Like literally, you can just open that up and pray it to God. You can pray the Psalms. Like when I don't have words to say to God and I haven't had words to say at times, specifically with hardships, with COVID-19 and other things that are going on at times, I open up the Psalms and I pray their words, right? Pray acts, this um, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, but take a step in prayer. This is how you will patiently persevere. It's through prayer. That's how God works. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we do pray now because we need your help to patiently persevere. And God, I just pray for these men and women in this room and the ones that are online, God, that are facing suffering, whether it is physical, whether it's economical, vocational, whether it is relational and in regard to racism or polarization or just 
division amongst people. God, I pray that we would all take steps towards praying about those things so that we can patiently persevere over the long haul, glorifying you and bringing joy to other people around us. God, help us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.